0: Our guest today, Marcy Newman, is a life and spiritual coach. Calling herself the Heart Shift Coach, Marcy specializes in manifestation and transformational energies. Marcy has earned several credentials, including registered nurse, ordained minister, Reiki master, certified hypnotist, energy healer, and LOA life coach. The survivor of two transformative near-death experiences herself, Marcy helps people struggling with change. Times when the heart wants one thing, but the head fights against it. Marcy's heart-shifting process is about making sure that these two things are on the same page and working together. At present, Marcy is on a campaign to teach forgiveness on a global level, believing that it is the only way to achieve personal and shared peace, but also is the key to health, happiness, and living in wholeness. Marcy has developed many special programs designed specifically for that task. Marcy Newman, welcome to NDE Radio.
1: Well, thank you so much, Lee. I'm honored to be here and really excited about our conversation today.
0: Yes, I, I am as well. Mar- Marcy, let's begin, if you will, with the stories of your two near-death experiences.
1: Sure. Um, want me to just go?
0: Yes, please.
1: Okay, here we go. So the first one occurred um in the recovery room in the hospital back in, I believe it was around 1988, 89. And I had had a ruptured ectopic pregnancy and needed emergency surgery. And the surgery, I um, understand, went pretty well. But when I was in recovery room, I um, was very much aware that I was feeling odd in my body, and I I can't describe that in any other way (laughs) except Mm -hmm. to say that I had had three previous cesarean sections. So I was acquainted with recovery room and what it felt like post-surgical procedures, but I, I had a very strange feeling, and I remember at one point that I felt like I was leaving my body and I attempted to sit up and get the attention of the nurse. And it was at that time that I just propelled out. Mm. And the next thing that I knew I was, um, I had followed this light just (laughs) like it's described so often. And it appeared like a tunnel, um, But I was feeling myself being propelled through it or pulled through it, I should say. And I arrived in this beautiful garden. And -hmm. what I remember so vividly about that was that the colors of everything that I was seeing were very different from the colors that I was accustomed to seeing on the earth. So they were more neon, you might say, very vivid and i also had the sense that i was um i was with my spirit guide and as quickly as it happened i seemed to just as quickly go back into my body mm. but the sensation of it was one where i recall thinking I don't want to leave here. And it's both, it's hard to describe, but it's both a physical sensation and an energetic sensation that's filled with this knowingness that love is completely cocooning you. And, um, or at least that's the way it felt to me. Mm. And so when I went back into my body, I do recall actually trying to recapture that feeling because it was so compelling. Yes. So compelling. It was incredible.
0: When you saw did you see your spirit guide or was it just a feeling that you had a companion with you?
1: You know, that's a really difficult question for me to answer. Um, I definitely felt that guide. Um, I felt specifically even that it was, um, it was someone very familiar to me and someone maybe more like my guardian angel. I felt like I was really strongly connected to them. Mm. And as far as seeing them, I saw them in my mind's eye. It's hard to describe. I can't really say that I, I saw features or I even saw a shape, but yet I felt the form. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I think that that's really the best way of describing what I experienced.
0: But you you think that it's some it's a being that accompanies you through your life. Or lives
1: that was that was a sense that I had that it was a being that was very well acquainted with me I with it, I was a hundred percent comfortable uh-huh. and felt drawn to it.
0: did you felt see anyone well- else when you were in the garden?
1: no, i didn't hmm. It was just myself and that guide
0: was it primarily trees or flowers or was there a stream it was
1: everything it was trees and flowers and but, of all shapes and sizes, they weren't um deaf in they weren't conforming to what we see on the earth so much and um they were very unusual. but what I remember most of all was the color the color of the vegetation and the fragrance. I remember the fragrances so sweet and yet. Very pure and clear at the same time. Mm.
0: Now, when, when you were back in your body, did you tell anyone about your experience?
1: I remember saying, um, I think that I've just gone someplace and, you know, just sort of being placated, <laughs> you know, like, okay, yeah, you did, <laughs> you know, but, um, no, I didn't really talk too much about it afterwards. And, and I have to also preface it by saying that at this point, I had um, experienced some spontaneous past life regressions when I was a child, and mm-hmm. also I was already involved mm-hmm. in the, um, you know, this field, this field of of being able to communicate on the other side, and and as much as I marvelled at how it looked. It didn't feel uncomfortable to me and it wasn't something unusual because I was so accustomed. I was already trained as a medium. I was trained in, you know, uh, energy healing. And so as I said, I had been working in that field for a very long time. So it didn't seem odd to me. It was just a marvelous experience. Wow.
0: And then you had a second experience, which was, um, even
1: more profound. Yes, it was really quite remarkable. And it also happened um, in the hospital. I was um, giving birth to my youngest son, and um, I had some tremendous complications during my pregnancy that had led me to be bedridden for months. And they had decided to to deliver him as early as possible because they were afraid of me going into labor. The condition that I had was known as a procreta and it was where the placenta actually grew through the wall of the uterus and attached itself to my internal organs. Mm. And so I was um, actually in the open heart suite in order to have this child delivered and, it, and he was delivered by an oncological surgeon because the, um, there was so much risk with my medical condition, both for myself and for my son. And the truth was is that they didn't expect both of us to make it. And um, I was told that before the surgery. So um, anyway, told that there was a very good chance that we would not both survive. Anyway, so um, it was actually shortly after the surgery began, and they had to keep me in a very light um, anesthetic state because they were afraid that it would reduce the respirations of the baby mm. and so most of the preliminary aspects of you know preparation for the surgery, my um, cardiac lines and You know, IVs and all those kinds of things were all done with me having no anesthesia whatsoever. And so, when it came time to do the surgery, they had to keep me in a very light state until that, until they were able to um, bring my son to, I guess, you know, the the surface uh, safely. And it was very shortly after that that I heard, all of a sudden, we've lost her blood pressure. And I was already out of my body when I heard them say that. And I, again, could feel myself just, but this time it was different. Now I was just released and I could feel myself expanding So part of me was present and listening. Um, I could hear what they were saying, and I could, um, I could, I was very much aware of their fear. But the other part of me just seemed to be energetically dissipating into this light. It was like I became the light. I was not in a tunnel. I was actually part of the light. And I was also at that time present, uh, or I could feel the presence of those with me. And there were a number of beings with me because I was very much aware of conversation taking place when I arrived. And then I was included in the conversation and the conversation was about my decision whether or not to go back to my body and I was told that my son would have some special needs. And yet still the decision was mine. And I remember, um, I don't know how to describe this other than like this serious consideration. I, of course, was concerned about my husband and my other three children but there was there was a part of me that really didn't want to go back. Mm. And yet the part of me that felt a sense of responsibility to my son and to the rest of my family um, was really leading me into making that decision. But the sensation of being totally formless, bodiless, It's a freedom that I'll never forget. Mm. It was so powerful.
0: The beings that surrounded you, um, did you see them?
1: I felt them. Mm. I felt them. I felt myself sharing the space with them. And we were all part of this conversation.
0: Did you feel that they had... um, what, what what what's the word authority? Were they like angels or people that I, w- being um they weren't relatives past the oh, past no. relatives.
1: No. I felt very much that these were my team.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, this was my team. And we were they were offering me the information that I needed in order to make that decision.
0: So this was like a, a collective of the first, the, you know, you felt you had a guide mm-hmm. in the first journey, and now yep. you had a team on the second I phase. had a
1: team. That's right. Uh, yep.
0: And did, did they, when they told you about this, that your son would have special needs, did they, were they pushing you one way or the other, or were they just informing you?
1: Not at all. It was just informing me. And they also didn't tell me what the special needs were. They just said he will have special needs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that needed to be part of my decision making.
0: Wow. Did you see a, a garden again or a field or no, anything along those nothing, lines?
1: Nothing just, at all. Just, just light.
0: Uh, suspended in the light.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. And, was and, there I, a, and su- I was part of it.
0: And was that sense of love that you'd felt the first time there as well?
1: Oh, my gosh, it was it was multiplied thousands of times over. It was so which is why it was so compelling, because this time, like I said, I I didn't feel a connection to any particular thing. And and my attention was just on what I was experiencing, not what I was seeing or not what I was trying to figure out. I was just there. Just total in surrender hmm. to being there, and the and the experience was completely different.
0: Did they give you any insights as to what your future life would be when you went, if you chose to go back?
1: No, no, nope. wow. just gave me the information that they felt was important that I had to make that decision on my own.
0: And did it take you any time to make that decision?
1: Well, as I said, you know, I mean, the sensation of all of that is, is very compelling to stay. There's, there's a big, there was a big part of me that did not want to go back and it wasn't because I didn't want to be with my husband and children. Of course. I just wanted to stay where I was. It's such an incredible feeling.
0: But back you came.
1: I did. I did, and miraculously we both survived the surgery. And um, uh, actually the, my experience in the operating room was um, written about in, in one of the medical books because it was such an unusual circumstance.
0: Wow. Now you must have been looking for what these special needs might be as, as <laughs> Your child got older.
1: Oh, right away. The moment that we were discharged from the hospital and I brought him home, I, of course, always had one eye on him and um, never really let him out of my sight from any length of time at all. As a matter of fact, people used to comment about, you know, the fact that he was my fourth child. And yet it was almost like he was my first because There was almost like no world outside of us. I was so connected to him. And yes, I was constantly watching out for what he needed from me. And to our surprise, our shock, actually, um, he was a preemie and yet he was so strong. He actually rolled over and continued to roll the day that we brought him home from the hospital, mm-hmm. and he was only eight days old. He was so aware, and, you know, he sat up at a very early age. He was walking at six months of age. He was so strong. It was amazing, and didn't seem to have any physical disabilities and didn't seem to have any kind of, um, you know, mental disabilities or um, learning disabilities, you know, we had him examined uh, often, of course, by the pediatrician to make sure that his sight and his hearing was on par, that everything was as it needed to be. And he always came out with flying colors. So quite frankly, I really started to just push my whole experience to the back of my consciousness and really started to consider whether or not I just made it all up.
0: Now I should let the audience know that you and I have already talked about Jacob mm-hmm. and it turned out that his special needs were actually special gifts. So when That's did, right. at what age did, uh, <laughs> did you discover that? Uh, what age of his and, 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 and tell us about those gifts.
1: Sure. So yes, so Jacob's special needs were that he needed someone like me to be able to support him and give him permission to develop his psychic gifts. So at a very early age, he would tell me that he could see colors around people and things. He would describe just certain things um, that he knew and, I'll never forget the first time that he decided that he was going to let his sister know that he wasn't going to tolerate any of her dominance. And this little boy of like three years old with his hands on his hips just turned to her and said, when I used to take care of you, I was never so mean. (laughs) And, And then proceeded to tell her that he remembered being her mother. And that, um, he always was very kind to her and very loving. And the truth was he expected the same from her. Mm. And it was hilarious because he would say these things and we honestly would just laugh and laugh and laugh because he, he was this little, this little guy mm. telling us these things. And he had all kinds of experiences, like once, I remember he used to have this little push toy that he would stand on to try and reach onto a shelf. And, of course, you know, I would keep telling him, don't stand on it, don't stand on it. And one day I heard him come crushing to the floor. And, um, you know, I said, what happened? And he turned around and he's pointing to what I can't see. And he said, it's all her fault. <laughs> she came around the corner so fast and she scared me.
0: Oh, so it was a spirit that he saw? It was a
1: spirit. And he saw them all the time. He also he- had this incredible ability to um to love. And that was what was more remarkable about him than anything else.
0: Did he it talk was- about any other uh um past life um memories?
1: Yes. He had many past life memories, but they weren't all as human beings. For instance, one day he told me that he remembered being the elements. Hmm. And as he got older, he actually used to use water as an oracle. He would receive information from it.
0: Did he, he look into it like... um Nostradamus supposedly gazed into a bowl of water?
1: No, he never it he developed it to such a point that he didn't even need water around him. Mm. He just connected with the energy of the element. Wow. And so it was really interesting because of course he was also very much a very normal boy. And very adventurous, very athletic, um, you know, covered from head to toe with plenty of scars. And, um, and yet when he reached high school, actually more even in middle school, he would be out playing with his friends and somebody would get hurt and he would bring them into the house and do healing work on them. He yeah. just knew he was, what to do.
0: He was a gifted healer. Yes. Hmm. What did his friends think of his abilities?
1: So he was a marvel to them. You know, they would shake their heads, but they very much depended on him for his opinions, for um, decision-making. And um, I would often, you know, hear them talking about the fact that they would wait until they talked to Jacob before making decisions about how to be or what to do. And it was really, it was really incredible. And I don't think there was ever anyone that was ever in his um, presence that didn't feel that there was something very special about him.
0: Now, you told me that uh, at age 21, Jacob died in a, Tragic motorcycle accident. Yes, I did. Why do you suppose God would have taken him home so early when he had such gifts to share?
1: So, first of all, um, I do want to share with you that Jacob and I had an inkling that it was coming. He also had had two near-death experiences, and... The last conversation we had about it, I remember saying to him, it's, you know, it's almost like the gauntlet has been thrown. You know, you're being asked, um, are you, are you going? And he said, I I know that, Mom. And he said, I haven't decided yet. He was very clear. And, um... Afterwards, actually, I was I was told by another medium that there were three junctures in his life where he would be given that decision. One was when he was younger, around 18 or 19, and that was also when he had one of his near-death experiences, and then also he would have another one at the age of about 30. So... Um, he was very much aware that, he, that he was here with a message and worked tirelessly to teach that. He, um, co-founded a couple of organizations. He was part of national organizations all geared towards supporting college students and other youth into Really connecting with their authentic selves, learning how to take down the walls of separation, celebrate diversity, and to become their most powerful selves. And that was really his focus. His second focus was that he designed um, he designed uh, living products that were sustainable. And he was told on a number of occasions that he was. He was really far ahead of his time, and he knew that. He knew that those designs, many of them, if he continued to live, would not come to fruition. And my guess is is that he was just very much aware when he came here that he was on a a limited mission.
0: And Marcy, I don't think it's um, unfair... For me to say that you uh that he's still working with you.
1: Absolutely. Uh
0: in your healing practices.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we are just about out of time for today already. <laughs>
1: I'm um, sorry. But uh
0: but, um, Marcy, tell the audience how they can find your uh website and and uh, find out more about the heart shifting process. Oh, and okay. also about your forgiveness project.
1: Okay. So Um, Everyone can find me, first of all, at heartshiftcoach.com. And there's lots of information there about all different subjects, right, that we need to start paying attention to in order to really evolve. And the Forgive to Live program that I'm putting so much focus on is my answer to what I have found working with clients now all around the world. And that is everyone knows that forgiveness is important, but rarely have they been taught how to really do it. And so I've put together this program of five different modules that are focusing on being able to pull back those layers of resistance and get to the core nature of their being so that they can start to release the energy that has been pocketed and, for lack of a better term, sort of festering. But it's also preventing them from moving forward, from being free.
0: Forgiveness really precedes the ability to love.
1: That's right. That's right. And so I'm always meeting people who are so frustrated, and that was my answer.
0: I'm sorry we're out of time, but I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, If the audience would like to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, they can go to our website at nderadio.org. And for information on IANS, check out their website at iands.org. And join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.